Uh, good. Right. All right. Let's roll. Yeah. How are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing? good. Yeah. Yeah, very well. Nice yeah. to meet you again. Very nice to meet you. So, to give a bit of context, we just met last night. Yeah. 10 minutes from here, a cross street of Bermondsey Street, the famous Bermondsey Street in uh, central London. In uh, We were in uh, Morocco Bound, which is this book club. Bookshop, uh, beer shop, bookshop, beer shop. <laughs> <laughs> they do it all. And they do like these little events, really nice events. And last night was poetry. Yeah. Which is, a, is your thing, right? It's my thing, yeah. When did they start? Well, I've been writing since uh, a kid, really. Um, the grade school, you know? Yeah. And um, it was something that I always knew that I could do. Um, I've won like a, a story writing contest probably in fifth year, fourth or fifth year, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, ever since then, it was something that I knew that I had a knack for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got to university, um, I, I initially went to study electrical engineering, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I, right. And um, but I, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, so I changed my major a couple of times, and I wound, I wound up getting a degree in creative writing. Wow. Um, but I was also able to, I was also writing more in university because, you know, in university, you go through these classes um, for a creative writing degree, and one of them is poetry. And then, you, then you have to write poems. And so I started writing poems, and my professors were like, you know, these are, you got a little something going on here. And... Um, and it was kind of that encouragement that made me really take it serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wound up representing my university at the National Collegiate um, uh, Slam Series that I didn't even know that they had. You know, like there's an NCAA sports for, you know, all college sports in the U.S. But there's also this um, this this governing body that has these collegiate poetry events. Right. And um, and I, I led our team and um, wound up being sixth in the nation, you know, first try. Wow. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. And um, and so, yeah. So, what was this in uh, New Orleans? No, I went to school in um, Louisiana State University, which is in yeah. Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. which is an hour from New Orleans. But wow. the, that event was at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Where did you grow up? In New Orleans. In New Orleans. Yeah. And how much you think uh, New Orleans impacted your uh, interest in that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Why is that? Because New Orleans is a creative town. It's a resourceful town. It's like, um, it's where we make something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what we do. Uh, it's a resilient town because, you know, we have hurricanes that come every yeah. every summer. And so most people in New Orleans have to live with the fact that they could lose everything mm. each summer. Wow. And so that creates a little bit of resiliency. And it also gives you a mind frame to think about, you know, what can I do that is, you know, hurricane proof or, yeah. you know, disaster, you know, um, yeah. proof. And so, and it was, it's just, a, it's just something that I knew that I could do. And I held on to it until it was time to, you know, until the, the people pushed me to, you know, do it. And so. Um, did you have to do any other sort of job 
Um, oh, I've had, I've had <laughs> many jobs. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you name a few? I can name a few. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, in high school, I was the, a barber. I actually was a barber all through college. So you know, kids from the, the neighborhood, the university, other universities would come and I would cut their hair. Um, but I was an educator most of my life, um, teaching in high school um, as an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, I was a university administrator at LSU. I, I ran what's called the... Um, the, the Office of Multicultural Affairs, which basically means I was responsible for <laughs> educating um, the student body on African-American experience. And so I ran a museum and a, a collection, a library, and just this, this, um, this was called the African-American Cultural Center on the campus. So I managed that. And so basically every black um, or student organization, I was like their advisor. And so I would guide students and their organizations on how to, you know, be proficient and, you know, stick to the rules and regulations that the university provided, but also, you know, support them and what they were trying to do. And then after that, I got into radio. Um, radio? Yeah, talk radio. And um, I was, uh, I wound up doing, I wound up becoming a sales manager for a talk radio, a black talk radio station in New Orleans. And so, um made a lot of connections in the community there um and that was a really fun experience because you know radio is one of those mediums where we don't really think about how much we rely on radio uh even this podcast right here is a form of radio uh but you know terrestrial radio you, you, you tune into like am fm it's free it's always been free it's always yeah. been a part of our lives and we just kind of something we take for granted but there's an art to yeah. it uh, a lot of the uh, messages and ideas that we get come from talk radio yeah. commentators, like they change the world. And so just being a part of that and raising money and, you know, doing that. Yeah. Is, is I think also it's because voice is a, is a great medium because it's, you can take it with you every, anywhere. Yeah. But you there's something so accessible and yeah. just um, reliable yeah. about AM FM radio. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, so, why are you in um, in uh, London at the moment? I'm in London. So, talk to you, Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad I, I met you last night. But like you said, um, I've been traveling around the country for. Oh, I've been traveling around the U.S. for at least the past year, uh, from city to city, reading poetry, uh, and then I got the opportunity to come to Europe for a month and read and i'm reading poetry so um it's a little bit in um, spain alicante um here in london now did a did was with you guys last night which was amazing mm-hmm. right uh but actually did something at um at the black box in, in wembley mm-hmm. a couple of nights mm-hmm. nights ago and that was really cool yeah. like the talent here is like really good you know there's some really up-and-coming artists and poets out here that are like you know, sharing their experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then on the Paris, got a, got a spot we're going to do in Paris, got a spot in Amsterdam we're going to do. Um, and then down to Basel. Uh, I, I'm just going to Basel just because I want to. Okay. Uh, and then um, and then Florence and uh, Rome and then mm-hmm. back to Alicante. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah London, uh, even for me that I am a, an aspiring actor, it really seems like the the, the, the place to be. So yeah, last night you were uh, you were performing, and actually I don't know if you if you saw, but like the, the reaction from the audience was like it was a was good. It felt really warm, good. Really it, it was a warm room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so um, and you said performing. Uh, I call it just reading, right? Um, and that's what I think kind of separates me from other. Because when you think of poetry, you think of spoken word poets that are like, and I really don't do that. Um, Even though it's it's an art form, it's like something that it's not my skill set, you know? My skill set is to write poems that if I read it to you, or if you read it yourself, you know, I'm I'm not always going to be there to like perform for you. But if you take it, I want it to still translate, you know? And so that's what I really focus on. Mm-hmm. So people are like, why are you reading your book? Don't you know the poem? Actually, I don't, you know. Uh, I can't remember it half the time uh, because there's always so much going on. And so I literally write to read. I was talking to some of the other poets last night, you know, and uh, I believe it was this, this, young, this young lady and her husband were there, and, and he wasn't the poet, but she was. And so we were having, I was having a conversation with him and uh, well, I was having a conversation with her, and I was like, you know, poetry is just um, either you 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 um, you clear up some thoughts for someone, or you um, get you evoke some emotion out of someone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all you need to do. It doesn't have to rhyme and all this other stuff. Uh, but the, there are ways to do that through you know rhythm, your presence. Um, you know, your cadence, you know, um, you might say one word a little softer than the other. Mm. Um, and so just being aware of those things, you give your listener or your reader a better chance of getting the idea mm. you're trying to get across. Cause it's all about getting the idea across or evoking the emotion. And how did you learn, uh, how to do that? Uh, oh, I studied, yeah. I studied, yeah. yeah. I studied uh, acting or no, I studied performing. Yeah, I studied what poetry is, right? Like the the classical, you know, tech the the technical parts of poetry. And I was like I said, I was an English teacher, so Mm -hmm. you know. So uh, you know where where to put the emphasis on the words, and then as you said, like maybe speak with a a lower tone for uh, right, right, right. But like I said, I've been traveling around for at least a year from city to city to city to city in the states and um after a while you know you you get tired of people like you know not not paying attention and you figure out little ways to help to you know to give them a chance to get it because ultimately i just want you to get it or get something yeah you know um but i've seen a lot of great poets that are very you know uh, loud and all these other things, and the, most people expect that when they see me, mm-hmm. and when I pull out my books and do what I do, it's kind of refreshing. And I think that's that's also a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like um, it defies your expectation of what it is, and then it's something you can learn from, or something refreshing, or you know, just something topical. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Also, I think uh, live events like last night. Are really useful for uh, for an artist because, as you said, uh, it's really important to read the audience. Yeah. So understanding 
the way that you're communicating and how and when right. it gets. Yeah. Gets there. Yeah. 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 So that's really cool. You got to read that. I don't care what you're doing. If you're an actor, um, if you're a musician, like a performer, yeah. um, a poet, you must. I mean, the, you have to pay attention to those people. That's why you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, most people think. The audience is there to pay attention to you, mm. but it's your job to pay attention to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is not easy. No. And it's not what everybody's up for. Um, you know, most yeah. no, most people didn't sign up for that. Yeah. You know, yeah. most people just said, I just want to get this off my chest. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sometimes that gets because um, I've I've been to poetry readings all kinds, you yeah. know, but there's one guy, it's just me and one guy, you know, in a bodega in in um in Utica, New York, you know what I mean? I'm 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 I'm, I'm telling you this because it doesn't matter who's there, you have to connect with him. Yeah, we were talking behind the scenes about um, people that they have to find their own ways, so they have to. Uh, do many different jobs, to, let's so, say, right, uh, yeah. pay, pay the bills until they uh, they can actually uh, support themselves yeah, support from their art. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you were saying you have some clients. And oh, yeah. Can... I also, um, so uh, probably in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, I started working for a the first virtual um, DJ record pool. Are you familiar with DJ Record Pools? No. Sure. All right. So um, back in back when there was vinyl, right, mm-hmm. and that was like the primary way we we consume music. Um, record labels couldn't print up enough vinyl to send out to all the radio stations, uh, so they selected thirty of them around the U.S. And each one of these little markets, they had a record pool. It's basically a storefront where there's like a librarian that you know, uh, house the records for the local DJs to come check them out, play them, see if they worked. If they work, then they would order more and then they'd be distributed to that area. If not, boom, all right, we figured it out. And so in 2008, I became a regional sales director for the first digital record pool mm-hmm. in the south of the U.S. And uh, we were based out of Dallas, but we were from New Orleans. And doing that, I would go to clubs, work with DJs to make sure that they were pulling records from our library. We had over 40,000 DJs all over the world um, in 150 different countries, and we had 13,000 titles. And um, and so I would go to DJs, I would listen to DJs play, make sure they're playing the record, make sure they're using our library. But I would also uh, meet with young aspiring artists, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be hip hop, R&B, you know, rock and roll, it didn't matter. If you were making music and you want to get out to the masses, well, you got to get to DJs. Mm-hmm. And so they would pay me to get in our record pool, but when they pay me, it would be a lot, you know, five hundred to three thousand dollars. And um, so they pay me, struggling kids, paying me five hundred dollars. And I say, well, if you register your music here and here and here, you want to make your money back in the next nine months, if you, you know, if you do it right. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And so after like three to five years of that, I developed my own business. My people got to eat. And so that's mpgt.com. Mm-hmm. And so it's based in the idea of um, uh, empowering, educating, and inspiring independent artists and labels to get all the money from their music, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there, uh, for every 
song that you hear on the radio, on your Spotify, or on your Apple iTunes, or whatever it is, 90% of those people are not properly registered to get all the money from their music. For every one song you have out there, 46 revenue streams, 46 ways to get paid. Most people register their music in two places, and you have to register your music in five places. And so I developed uh, the seven-step program. It's called the My People Gotta Eat Seven Revenue Steps Workshop for Independent Artists and Labels. And um, and so I wrote a, a guidebook that goes along with the workshop. And so I guide uh, clients through these seven steps. And um, in a, it's, a, it's a fully immersive 18-hour, 16-hour um, deal. And it's, it's very rewarding. And I get to help guide and help people figure out how to be successful and how to basically make money from the art. Mm. So that's your day job? That's my day okay. job. And uh, so why do you put poetry in, uh, in all this? Is it something that you, you do more for hobby or is it just a passion or you would like it to... Um, I always said if... Uh, if, if go uh, along with that. No, with I always said if there was a if, uh, if there was like a, um, an off-ramp for me on, on my journey of life and it was like I want to just go take it easy, I'd become a poetry professor. Mm. And so in order to do that, you know, um, I'd have to be published and so forth and so on. Yeah. And so this was, uh, actually this first book was supposed to be um, my, you know, my my works to to submit to get into this 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 fine arts program but i just published a book and it got to number two on amazon i was like well i need to do that for wow. <laughs> right yeah um, so yeah so you've got two books which uh you were reading yeah. uh falling off of it uh last night yeah and uh yeah as i said like the audience was pretty impressed with that and uh do you want to maybe read yeah one definitely of those? yeah um yeah. what's the the, the books book it's called the black men that raised me the black man that raised me. Yeah. That's, my, that's that? me. That's you? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. how it all started. <laughs> What's the, um, the meaning behind the, uh, the title? It's exactly what it is. Um, so black men are an enigma in the world, right? It's, they're kind of tough to understand. If you think you understand them, you don't. Because uh, half of them don't understand themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, when you think about who's, who's raising these 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 black men, mm -hmm. uh, you always think about uh, the mom or you know. Yes, there's always this myth of the black man is missing and so forth and so on. But in my life, my father was always there. Uh, his friends were always there. The, the black men in my community were always there, and so they didn't go about saying, "Well, this is what you need to know," right? They said, "This is what you don't do." All right, don't do this mm -hmm. instead of do this. But I was, a, I'm very observant. And so there were thoughts and ideas that I picked up on my own um, that I put into this book. Mm -hmm. And so that's, this is, that's exactly what this is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the fact that they were saying, don't do this, mm -hmm. did it not make you as a kid go like, fuck, I would do that? Because they say they can't, I can't do No, that. no, no. It made me not do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, sometimes it does the oh yeah it, does, the it usually does the opposite yeah yeah but yeah. I, but I was observing and, I, and if they say don't do it and I watched them and they didn't do it mm. oh yeah all right but if it's something they say don't do and they do mm. and then I I saw the outcome you know um, so yeah.
So that's uh, uh, let's say the, the main subject of the of your poems. Yeah. Um, Our lessons passed on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to? Oh yeah. One? Yeah. So this is called um, "Your Power." Your power. Who are you giving your power to? Who gets it? Who do you give it to? How do you do it? Do they know? Do you know? Did you tell them? Where did all that power come from? Where did you get it? Who do you give your power to? It's not really a question. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of power though. Is power even really a thing? When is the last time you really had some power? It can't be a real thing because they push it on us so much, right? It's an elixir. Who do you give your power to? I mean, who really wants your power? Anyway, who am I to ask you about your power? I don't even know you like that. If I ever, if I never see you again, lift up the powerless, the power lift. So if power is a thing and it's something you have, grow in your power, respect your power and give your power effortlessly. That's amazing, man. Yeah, you like it? Yeah, yeah. I, do like it. <laughs> I do like it. Um, what's the the hope that you have um, when people hear this? For example, like this poem. What what is the message that you would like to uh, convey? Uh, be cognizant of the power you have, and be intentional about how you you share it. You know, most people think they're powerless, mm -hmm. right? So there's the question, you know, is, is power a thing? You know, when is the last time you really had some power, you know? Um, and so if you know that you have power, be intentional about it, you know, be responsible. And also understand that it's been given, it's been given to you to give. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, what is power for you? What is power? That is a very good question. Uh, power is, to me, the ability to make free thinking decisions. Basically, uh, it's. I wouldn't think of. You know, some people think of powers that like influence over others or um, the ability to. Um, um, you know, to make a mark when you want to make a mark, you know? Uh, I just think it's the ability to really make a free thinking, a free thinking decision where you could just make your own decisions. I think that's power. So you, so basically it's like, um, that community, your father, the people that, uh, that raised you made you realize that you have power slash responsibility and you need to be very careful how to use that yeah. and uh and spread that power that yeah. responsibility yeah. uh in a society or how you pass it on on your yeah. kids and uh next yeah. generation yeah exactly yeah yeah see that I'm, i think we did right i think that's <laughs> a good poem because you got it you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you you touched a bit on, on that point but what was your relationship with your with your parents? 
uh, with your family, or like in, in your community, uh, was it uh, a just a black community or was a very diverse community where you grew up? In... Excuse me, that's a good question. Uh, so I grew up in the heart of the hood in New Orleans, uh, uptown, right? Mid city, downtown. Uh, but my parents, they always wanted the best for me. And so uh, they sent me to Montessori school when I was very young, um, which was, I owned, there were only two black kids in the school, right? right? Um, and I fought every day. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, until like the second grade. Physically. Physically, <laughs> right? Uh, but, you know, I'd fight a kid and then he'd invite me to come play the weekend, you know? Then I have to fight another kid and go play with him the weekend, you know what I mean? Uh, just because they were they're white kids from New Orleans and, you know, uh, they didn't have that experience. And uh, I was really the only black male. The other the other the other black kid was a female. And um, and so it was a small Montessori school. And then I started going to public school. And uh, even in my my public um, grade school was integrated. Um, but once I got to like, um, mid-year school, like seventh, eighth, uh, all the way up to high school, it was all black, all black, everything. And so I had a unique experience because I had the Montessori experience. I had a, a, a integrated grade school experience, and then I had the all black experience. And, uh, when I, when I got my chance to go to university, I could have went to an all black university or the university I went to, which was a predominantly white university. And I chose to go to that predominantly white university because I wanted to have a, a more well-rounded experience because I know everybody in the world not black, you know? Um, and so that was the decision I made. But to, to go back to answer your question about, uh, yeah, my parents were always there supporting me uh, when they could be there because they were always working. And, um, and I was the only child in the home. And so... Um, there were many nights where, you know, I was there cooking dinner for them on the way home. You know what I mean? So, yeah, last night you were, uh, you read this poem that, that I think that most people in, like, uh, the young generation uh, could really relate to and, uh, and, uh, and be touched by. And uh, so I, I would like to, to read really it. The Charger. Yeah, the Charger one. Yeah, the Charger yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this, um, this is the book I wrote in the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. What's um, book? It's called First Light. First Light. Yeah. Um, and you can find it on, on MP. Um, you can find it on my website. Yeah. Uh, but also Amazon. Okay. Um, there's a Kindle version. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and actually about to put the uh, audiobook version up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's something you could look out for in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but people love the audiobooks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially poetry. You know. is, is it you reading it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I knew it all. That's good, man. Yeah. Because yeah. you've you've got the voice. I I, I listen to I, I really love books, so mm -hmm. I like to have the, the paper. Oh yeah. I really definitely. love it. Uh but in a couple of occasions I, I've listened to audiobooks and uh it was really, really different when the writer it's, also is also the reader. Yeah. Uh you can tell there's a there's, there's a much, different connection. There's to much it. you can be much as you can be a professional uh, reader, yeah. reader, yeah. also a speaker, mm -hmm. whatever, a voice actor, uh, a voice actor, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's not the same thing, and uh, and then I think you have a very 
powerful voice. Thank you. Very peculiar voice. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's unique. Yeah. I don't like it all the time. You know, well, you know, I don't oh, like yeah, I don't like to hear it back. Yeah, yeah. scientifically we, yeah. there's an explanation why we yeah, hate I don't, voice. Yeah. I don't I'm not gonna say I hate it. I just sometimes <laughs> well, I, I just I don't like mine, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why it is. Sometimes I'm like, oh you sound good, but then sometimes I'm like, Well, who's that guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let somebody else read it, dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it's I don't know, I go back and forth. But this is charger. Yeah. Right. Let's stop saying my phone died. Let's start saying my phone's power supply has depleted. Was your phone alive? Was your phone in a gang out here in these streets? Did it have enemies? Was it sick? Family to notify. We put our lives in our phones so I can understand why we give our phones life. We named them and everything, dressed them up. The ultimate accessory that requires accessories that one day will eventually have its power supply depleted. Tell me, you got a charger. Imagine a world where there are only two types of people, the people with a charger and the people without. Do you leave your charger in the socket even when you're not using it? Is that waste? Do you have more than one? Do you need one now? Do you have one now? Can I borrow your charger? I'm on red. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. Protect your chargers. Seems like you may have some kind of charger separation anxiety condition. Everybody needs their chargers. Ain't no good reason for you not to have yours. Think of the idea that one of the most kind things you could do today is let someone use your charger. Not all y'all. This ain't no charger factory. Do people treat people like people or like chargers? If that's the case, and if there's a choice, and your power supply has depleted, just treat me like a charger. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. It I'm, really speaks to me because in, in, uh, in the past few years, I had to be very uh, careful uh, of the energy that I was giving. Yes. Uh, I was giving away and uh, I was putting energy in the wrong places and, um, and also like receiving the wrong energy. Mm. Uh, so for me, like this poem, I, the way I read it, it talks a lot about uh, positivity and negativity, hmm. positive and negative right. uh, charge and energy right. that you can get from people. And, uh, and it's something that until you, you really learn how to uh, stay on your own, uh, be on your own and be yourself, you just give your energy oh, to yeah. anyone and get and try to get energy from anyone. And when you learn who you are and uh, how to stay with yourself and how to be alone with yourself, you're so careful about and, uh, who gets that energy. Yeah, you get yeah. so selective. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like I've become very, very selective. Sometimes too much, bro. Did you think the pandemic had something to do with that? 100%. Yeah. 
100%. Do you think more people had that experience in a pandemic? Yeah. Uh, yes, but I think also it depends in um, uh, what people were going through. For, because, for example, uh, I was going through a, a moment like a breakup. So right. uh, I was forced as well right. to stay on my own. Uh, so I kind of had to learn, uh, okay, now I don't, I don't have that person, right. uh, to rely on, right. uh, I don't have that energy to, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a choice yeah. whether maybe people if I had the choice to have someone stay next to them, they would just give and get energy just mm. because that person is just here. There, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the pandemic, yeah, hundred percent helps. Uh, I always say that it, for me. Personally, it, it changed my life for good. Yeah. Maybe it would have happened anyway. Uh, because it'd have to hold out faster. Right? Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you found something positive out of it. Yeah. 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 That's what I was trying to do with the book. Yeah. Make sure that something positive came out of yeah. it. Yeah. You know? It's all about positivity. There's only one one way that you can you can see things. Mm -hmm. You can it's either positive or or, or negative. Right. And the other day I was listening to someone <clears throat> and he was saying uh about like you can either be positive or negative and people would say to him uh no but you you also need to be realistic and he was saying yeah you can be real negative <laughs> you know what i mean you can be either real negative right, or real, real positive. positive right yeah so you, you pick one, it. Yeah, you pick one yeah. and i really believe in that yeah. and uh yeah but no but man it was amazing and uh it was amazing last night um uh, meeting you and uh, I just I just approached to you and say that I I really enjoyed your your performance and, uh, and that I had this project that I've just started right. which is uh, this uh, this podcast where I want to uh, bring our artists and creatives on and uh, and talk about their stories and uh, and you were like oh, yeah 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 I'm, I'm here like for a couple of days let's do it tomorrow <laughs> and I again I fell back into the old pattern of saying, oh no, I'm not ready. Right. Uh, and just like, yeah, you know, procrastinating and the self-imposter syndrome and perfectionism and everything made me think, no, I'm not ready. I've only got one, uh, only uh, got one, one episode. One, <laughs> yeah, one episode and, uh, and uh, I don't have the gears. I only have one microphone. And, uh, but it's not about, it's not about that. And actually you with your, uh, uh, with your energy again and your, power mm -hmm. to mention your points you you made me feel like fuck i have to do it and uh, and we talked about we talked about last night um taking opportunity when they yeah. when they come yeah so honestly i i didn't think that uh i would have interviewed already someone uh i was thinking okay i start this podcast i'm gonna see how it goes just, build it uh, just do yeah. a few episodes and mm -hmm. get Taste the water. And hopefully and so people don't want to be on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then last night, see, like this happened and then you really uh, empowered me uh, yeah. to do it. So I, I, That's love, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I really appreciate it. That's love. And uh, yeah, and to wrap it up, uh, if but you want to again say... I want to say about, a couple, a couple yeah. things. Can I? Sure. All yeah, right. of course. So the first thing I want to say is I live by three rules, right? And they're always up there on, on, I start this always on the back of the book. Um, the first rule is don't compare because you don't know the next man's struggle, right? The second rule is don't complain because nobody really wants to hear it, <laughs> right? And the third rule is um, 
no matter if you're up or you're down, take a moment and just give thanks for being in that moment, right? Uh, so those are kind of like my guiding principles. Um, but I also, because I'm, um, because of what we're doing, like going around the country and the world uh, and doing things with people, right? Instead of like on the social media and all this other stuff, it's like doing things with real people that, you know, really meeting them where they are. Uh, we're building relationships, right? And so I like to be prepared with three things when any relationship I'm building, whether it's the bus driver or whoever it is, the three things that I'm prepared to offer that I've, I signed up for in this relationship. One is healing. Like I'm prepared to bring healing. And that doesn't mean like I'm a healer. Sometimes healing is just listening. Sometimes healing is just, you know, uh, acknowledging your existence, right? Uh, but being prepared to heal, right? Um, growth is one thing I'm prepared to, another thing I'm prepared to bring because again, celebrating growth, uh, being an example of growth, right? Um, and, 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 and again, you don't have, you, growth happens over time. It's not like you're going to be this, the, the, you know, that tree didn't grow overnight. You know what I mean? But it's growing. It's growing right now. Patience. Yeah. Patience. But understanding that growth is, it has to happen and you have to like celebrate that. And um, encouragement. You got to be prepared to fire off with encouragement. And um, sometimes it's it's a smile. Sometimes, again, it's just celebrating uh, the idea. You know what I mean? And last night it was a moment to encourage you because that's what I'm like. That's what I got on my, my Batman belt, you know. Um, and what I told you was the theme of my workshop is what I tell everybody that I come in contact with is the ultimate goal is where preparation meets opportunity. Because if you're preparing yourself, right, for whatever it is, whatever goal you set, whatever mission you want to accomplish, as you go about preparing yourself, opportunities will present themselves. Because you put yourself on the road to that. And on that way, opportunities are going to come. And so when preparation meets opportunity, it's got to be in the back of your mind. Because you just never know. Um, and so we didn't know last night, but we were both prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it doesn't have it's to It's just be... that I didn't, probably I didn't believe that I was prepared. Right, yeah. We always think that, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not prepared. But sometimes it... Just need to jump. Right? I wasn't sure if I was ready to come to Europe, but here we are, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, no, uh, and it really worked. Like, I'm really grateful because I it really encouraged me last night. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was glad to get that call in the morning. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I was like, this morning it was wow. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. I want to do this. Yeah. Go. Only one camera, whatever. Right. Only one mic. The gears are not there yet. Right. Is the flat? <laughs> just like moving but, everything around. To make but it's it real. But this is. But, the, but this is the concept. Yeah. It's about the message. It's about the message, not about like yeah. the the tools that you use. Right. Yeah. And the more resourceful you are, um, the better. You know, if you could do it with with this, imagine we could do with the whole rig that you that you've invented. You know. Yeah. Uh, so, but we got that's growth. That's how we get to show it. Yeah. Uh, the people that are going to watch this, the people going to share this with, they're going to be like, "All right, he started off small, and now we get to see him." You yeah. know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. what you think is small, 
Uh, to some people, it's everything in the world. Mm. So again, this yeah, it's, it's all about perspective. Yeah, but you got it, bro. Thank you, man. I'm with you. Too, man. Glad you. Like, do you want to say where people can find uh, um, uh, in, your books? My people got to eat is the name of my business. Um, on the web is mpgte.com. mpgte.com. Mm -hmm. I have music up there. Um, I have a couple of videos up there. Uh, but there's always a link to my books up there. There's a link to uh, how to get in the workshop up there. Um, and yeah, it's very plain, very simple. Try not to confuse you. Just it's all listed on one big page, and then there's some there's some um, some little you know there's a there's a bar. They have a DJ mixes up there that you mm -hmm. can download for free. Um, and so yeah. Amazing. Can you please say again the the titles of your? All right, we got books. first light. Yeah, and it's the one we did in the uh, pandemic. Um, I'm really, I'm really proud of both of these books. Uh, the Black Men That Raised Me is definitely the one that kind of started this whole thing off. Mm. Uh, it's the only title in the world. It's the only book titled "The Black Men That Raised Me." There should be volumes of books, you know, titled this. Um, but this, this is the one. And then First Light um, is is like. Yeah, that's right now. And um, uh, and I'm working on a new book now. I can't tell you what the title is, but it's amazing. <laughs> um, and I think I read one of the poems from that last night. Um, but, but yeah. That's amazing, man. Let's show you to the camera. Oh, yeah. So first light, uh, this camera. Yeah. <laughs> and then put it into the phone camera as well, just in case. And the black man that raised me. Yeah. By Isaac, Isaac B. Netters. Isaac B. Netters. B. Netters, yeah. AKA uh, Ike. Ike. Yeah, <laughs> some people call me Ike. Ike numbers, all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, man, it was a pleasure. Nothing, but a, nothing but a pleasure. It's all love, all love. Thanks, yeah. man. Ah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you, London. <laughs>